And now, our feature presentation. I like it spooky. Hey everybody, welcome to I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. I'm Clint. And it is May 13th. And as of the time of this recording, Facebook just reminded me, guys, that a year ago we were all together in Rock Island, Illinois, at Midwest Monster Fest halfway to Halloween. That was a good time. Yeah. I wish we had it again, but I know the stress of putting on two cons, let alone one, you know, but we'll be together again. I, I still have nightmares about, you know, being forced to sit next to you guys for so long. And you guys had your first tenderloin. It's like a Midwest staple. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> when, we went, <laughs> when we went out to dinner the night before, like the con, the night you guys got here. Is that what I had? Oh, wow. Mm, that, that was good. <laughs> I know Melissa had it. I don't know what you had, but yeah. All I remember about that, about sitting down and eating with you guys there, is you ordered something, and I can't remember what it was, but it was like a, it was like a lot of whatever you ordered because you were going to take some home to Tanya, and the look on the waitress's face was like, holy shit, and you were like, no, 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 this isn't all for me, and she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I ordered uh, 50 wings, and that's how I told her. I was like, yeah, I need 50 wings, and her eyes were like, uh... Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, just give me, you know, eight on a plate and put the rest to go. She's like, oh, okay. That sounds better. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> their wings are huge. Yeah. There's no way in hell. Uh, this intro conversation is leading no segue into the news. So screw it. Go to the news. Uh, we've talked about this before, but now we have some more information. The documentary on Robert England, you know, everybody's favorite overpriced autograph at a convention, uh, has a documentary coming out. I'm excited for it. I'll still watch it. I mean, he is Freddy Krueger. He was in Zombie Strippers, you know, two of the all-time classics. Uh, so there's a documentary coming out, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story. So we talked about this a while back when they were filming it. They were getting it ready. It's a Screenbox exclusive coming out January 6th on the platform. So Screenbox is kind of like a shutter, like a Netflix horror one. And they're the ones who did Terrifier 2 also. It was an exclusive to them. But this is also coming out to Blu-ray on July 25th. Amazon already has the pre-orders available for it. Uh, word is Walmart is going to have an exclusive steelbook. I kind of have to see how much that is, but I'm definitely interested in it. My wife and I love documentaries anymore. We feel like old people now just sit down to watch a movie and we either choose, you know, a horror movie or a documentary. And hell, this is putting two of them together. Super excited. Uh, it's going to have other icons, Lynn Shay, Eli Roth, Kane Hodder, Tony Todd, Bill Mosley, and Heather Langenkamp are going to all appear in it. Excited to see. That's half the murderer's row of overpriced autographs at conventions. <laughs> I want to meet Lynn Shay. That would be cool. All the others, I think I've, I've seen them or at least talked to them and I didn't do autographs, you know, like Heather Langenkamp, Clint and I talked about it. We went up together to get an autograph on his toys, but I was up there just taking pics and holding toys for him. You know, the usual at a con. You throw in a box of 50 wings and I'm coming over to hang out with you and Tanya and watch this. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, we can watch it when you come back for Midwest Monster Fest. 
Yeah, I'll be back in uh, September. Yeah, We should be up that way next week, but nah, this won't be out yet, so no such luck. I have a feeling the documentary is going to cover a lot of stuff that Robert did that not a lot of people know about that we've talked about before, where like he was on an episode of Night Court and uh, like we were talking about um, when we covered Silent Rage, where he uh, where he uh, was in Adventures of Ford Fairlane and just a lot of the other, he was in V. But the thing is, is the people who don't know that probably aren't going to get this. Does that make sense? It's going to be fun for us to watch and relive those things. But Right on the cover of the, the artwork for the cover of the Blu-ray, it's not all about Freddy. I mean, Freddy's on there, but then also Robert England's on there. What was the one? Is it 1,000 or 2,000 Maniacs or something like that? 2001 Maniacs. That one's on there. Even they got the, what's the popular show on Netflix? The, oh, Stranger Things. His appearance from Stranger Things is on it. A lot of different parts of his career are on it. So I think it will go more. Eating Alive isn't on there? Uh, it might be. There's a bunch of pictures of Robert on it, so maybe so. But yeah, I don't know. There's even like young Robert England. And that would be very young Robert England. Toby Hooper movie. For some reason, it looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger's on the very bottom of it. Like posing... I, maybe he was in something with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Don't I don't think Robert England was in Pumping Iron with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, <laughs> I don't think so. It's possible. I guess we'll find out. You might have just said, but how much? How much is that going for? Twenty six ninety nine. The pre order for the Blu Ray on Amazon. You can't beat it. No. Yeah, the number one bestseller right now in documentary. And again, that releases July 25th. That's all I got. Lame. What do you guys got? Oh, you know you already got it pre-ordered. I didn't know about it until you told me about it. The I Like a Spooky Horror Podcast is your number one stop for news, reviews, collectibles, and anything horror. So that's where I'm finding my news right now. <laughs> so I got a horror comedy. Teeth is getting a stage musical adaption. You guys seen Teeth? You know, the young girl that has the teeth in her vagina. and You haven't seen it, Clint? No, you've never seen it, Cleeth? Did you just call me Cleeth? <laughs> yeah. He was going to say Clint. Cleeth? <laughs> You're telling me that to you, I look like a vagina with teeth? You motherfucker. Uh, wow. You know, it, I've been called out by fans of the show for like, and, hey, Clint, you like to talk a lot. And I, I do when I'm passionate about something. But at this moment, I'm speechless. Cleeth, what the fuck? <laughs> So here's something we didn't have on our horror bingo card this week. A stage musical adaption for 2007's cult horror comedy, Teeth is in the works. So it looks like a Pulitzer and Tony Award winning playwright is going to do this off Broadway next year. I mean, it sounds interesting. I'd probably go see it. I'd definitely see it if Cleef sent it. At least I just moved from Cleef to Cleef. We could we can make you whatever you want to be. I'm evolving. <laughs> so i wonder how that's gonna work though like are they just gonna like have her come out and spread her legs and the teeth are gonna come out and like eat i mean you'd have to like a little shop of horrors kind of thing or i don't know <laughs> that's gonna be interesting with it being a stage play um wow i didn't even know what to say we need to get the makeup and effects and set designers on the show for an interview. <laughs> I've got some questions. <laughs> Sounds like it's something that's premiering at Pee Wee's Playhouse. You know, as as the weeks go on, you guys just get creepier and you creepy <laughs> bastards. Man, I'm, this is the first time I've been really rattled. First time I've been really rattled on this on these recordings. All right, let's get this together, Clint. Okay, uh, so my news is about news. 
as of the time of this recording, I have put out three of them so far. And uh, if you haven't heard, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast here, I'm doing a what I call a tri-weekly news blitz, and I call it Spill the Guts. And it's basically, uh, you know, so far it hasn't gotten past eight minutes, but it's basically five to ten minutes where I go through and, and pick out some different news articles like we're talking about right now. Put together a quick little show for everybody to listen to and stay up on what's going on with the horror genre news. It's been fun. It's been well received. But again, at this point, we've only put out three. I think by the time you hear this recording, there'll be a total of nine. So six more should come out by the time you hear this recording. If you've heard them, send me some feedback. And it might be easier to send it directly to my email, which is corpsebarn at hotmail.com. C-O-R-P-S-E barn at hotmail.com. Let me know what you think. Uh, Let me know if you have something you want covered on there or let me know, hey, this is stupid and you're annoying and I don't want to hear your voice or let me know, hey, we should you should legally change your name to, to Cleef. Uh, whatever it is, it's it's been fun. It's cool to bring you guys some more content and uh, make sure you check it out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Spill the guts. Yeah, I like it. You know, we've talked a lot on wanting to keep the news fresher and there it is. Clint Cleef is hardworking for your ear listening enjoyment i love to burrow into your ear holes we we had talked about it and then i had thought about doing something like that and i just for whatever reason i actually verbalized it a week ago in a conversation i was having and when i it came out and i heard it you know and it, i kind of it bounced back to me i was like wait fuck it let's do it you know i sat down sunday the next day and, and put it together and yeah it's been a lot of fun been a morning tradition for the first week that finley and i go to school in the mornings i take her to daycare and we listen on the way Something fun and interesting. I'm learning a lot. It's keeping me up to date. Something else cool about it is it seems like every episode I bring up Ted from Ted Marvelous Custom Gumball and pouring like six times during the show. It just naturally <laughs> comes out. Him and I became good friends, so I just like to talk about him. But um, every Friday, we hear from him, too. He's our he's our word on the street, man on the street. For all the times you listeners have heard me say his name, now you get to hear his voice. Yeah, I was like, where the hell was Ted at? Where's What street is he standing on in Michigan? Because it sounds like something's going on. I had to edit out the gunshots. He was at the McDonald's across from where Motor City Legacy was. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Somebody asking him about his vitamin D there, I guess. (laughs) He still doesn't take PayPal, though, does he? I think he's still trying to figure it out. (laughs) You got to pay him in other ways. All right. You know, uh, we should set up like a PayPal account because if you like what you're hearing and you want to donate, it's all for free. All the content we put out is for free for you guys. But wow, I mean, it'd be cool if you want to donate. You like what you hear so much. You're like, here's some money. Here's some money because I'm I'm broke. I'm so broke that I'll just, spoiler alert, I have nothing on this episode of Why We're Poor because I don't have any freaking money. Why am I so poor this time? I got some good pickups. Uh, Brian's already talked about one of these things, but him and I ordered it kind of separately. I like my records. I like my horror soundtracks. So Zavi sent me an email one day. I've bought from them before, so they send me emails every once in a while. Usually I just dismiss it. But this time they sent me one, and they're like half off all records. So I jumped on there, looked, and I found People Under the Stairs from Terror Vision, which was very cool. Got it for half price. It was like seven or eight bucks. 
it was crazy, like a good deal. I don't even know what color it was, so I had to open it finally to take a look at it. But it's like the Coke bottle and red blood mix, but it's cool looking. Uh, so I picked that up. I picked up the soundtrack for Witch, which I do not like the movie, but... <laughs> I was like, oh, the soundtrack. Yeah, I'll take that. So I ended up showing my wife that, and she had to point that out right away. She was like, you hate that movie. I'm like, I know, but the the, the music could be good. I honestly haven't listened to it, but I will eventually. Also picked up Malignant from Waxwork Records. Not a big fan of that movie either, but I love Waxwork Records, and it was a great deal. Last but not least, I picked up the Muppet movie soundtrack, which this is actually one that I really... This is one that I had really wanted anyway, and it was half price. So I picked it up and I got the Animal Red vinyl version. Animal And it was kind of funny. I was going to make like a short video last year when Brian and I were going to um, Pennsylvania. I was going to put up like a little short video and use the like the Kermit and Fozzie song that um, the traveling one, like when they're on the road, like. So those were good pickups. Uh, I got them all half price. So I think I, all four of those were like 40 bucks or something like that. It was it was crazy good deal. A couple more things I want to mention. So I don't know if we're popular enough to have, you know, infamous lost episodes. But thanks to Clint, we have a lost episode about the Motor City Legacy <laughs> that bo- <laughs> so that bonus episode, I talked about some cool pickups that I got. So I'm going to go ahead and just quickly go over them now. Um, of course, Ted's custom gumballs. I went up to his table and he had some awesome gumball machines and I instantly gravitated towards the, he had a Detroit Lions one, which I'm a big Lions fan. It was in the Detroit area before the con even opened. I bought that from him. I love it. Took it home. It's out in my little party room, like my sports bar area. Love that thing. I will get more from him. Couple from Josh from Bootleg Toys, Bootleg as Fuck Toys. Ended up getting the fog or the mist. Yeah, the mist, the fog, the Halloween. I shot him six times. And of course, the Silent Rage one that he gave us for, you know, having him on the episode and covering Silent Rage. So those were cool pickups. Uh, last but not least, I met Brian and Kristen Hoover. Uh, Brian, who's commented on our posts before, you know, kind of a friend of the show and met his wife, Kristen. They set up at uh, Motor City Legacy and they had amazing artwork. I went up to his table and I thought they were all prints. And I'm like, oh, OK, There's, they were still, I thought, reasonably priced. And then come to find out it, it's actual artwork. It's not prints. It's, you know, hand drawn everything. I went through his stuff and picked up a Night of the Living Dead, the original Night of the Living Dead with Johnny and Barbara when they're in the cemetery. And that kind of goes back to us in Pennsylvania. We took a bunch of pictures in the cemetery right there and picked up an artwork from him, brought it home, framed it up, showed my wife, and she fell in love with it. She wants some more Brian Hoover and Kristen Hoover art. We're going to make that happen eventually. Yeah, I, th- I think Brian almost undersells himself, and that's my opinion. But that was his first show. You know, you're at those shows, you're always competing with with uh, a good number of other talented artists also. But yeah, he, he puts out some some quality stuff. And they're both very talented, so they're gonna, they'll do well. I hope they keep at it, do some more shows. and. You know what sucks is I, I'm sitting here legitimately really poor this week, and you're over here boasting about, I bought some shit that I didn't even want from a movie that I didn't even like. <laughs> I really like this episode, but you know, sometimes I kind of hate it too. I, I, I don't want it to, I never want to sound like we're bragging about what we get, but what's funny is I've always felt that about this segment too, but I've had so many people, random people from like 
different you know places come up to me and go, man, I really love when you guys talk about that stuff. And I was like, really? Because I've always been afraid that people are going to, it's going to be like snide, like, oh, well, I've got this and, uh, you know, but no, people dig it. So I, I would love to like listen to other podcasts where people talk about their collections and what they pick up because I would have no idea. Even it's kind of like people sharing on Facebook, people share links on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. I need that. I would have never known about it. Exactly. That's what we hope you guys get from this segment. And unfortunately, the record sales over. And I didn't even tell like Brian and Clint about it. I felt kind of lame after it because I went back to buy more and I'm like, I should have told them. And then it was over. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a jerk, but yeah, that's all my pickups from the past, not just the week, but you know, over the past month and really wanted to talk about, you know, especially, uh, the gumball machine, the bootleg toys and Brian and Kristen, their art, amazing stuff. Yeah. I really would have liked the Muppet movie soundtrack. I'm sorry. Kermit and Fozzie moving right along. Moving right along in search of good times and good news with good friends you can't lose. This could become a habit. That's it. Yes. Moving right along. Thank you. I picked up a couple things, too. Two things. Thanks to my friend Clint. He knows I love Godzilla. He knows this is a Godzilla household over here. So somebody had posted on a Facebook group, two Godzilla items for sale. They had sold them. The guy backed out after a couple weeks. So Clint added me to the group. I messaged the guy. I got a really good deal. The first one is, and these are from Microman. So this is like Mattel, but in Japan, I gather. Because it looked like they had Microman G.I. Joe and Transformers and all kinds of other Microman stuff on eBay. So the first one I picked up is a Gamera, and it's got like the Gamera with the shell, several hands, and then it's got a little robot guy on the side. I got a Godzilla Microman. So this is Godzilla from Godzilla Final Wars. So 50th anniversary from 2004. But it's got a little guy with it. It's got some, you know, spikes on his back you can change out and new hands and stuff. And Finley's like, oh, when are we going to open those and put them together? And I said, when I'm dead. I was like, these are these are not play with Godzillas. You have several Godzillas on your table in your room. You got Rodon, you got King Caesar, you got a couple things that you can play with. These are not play with Godzillas. I paid 50 bucks for them. I don't care. I'll, I'll share the price. Guy won 50 bucks for him. I paid him 50 bucks. The Godzilla's worth like 75. I don't know what the Gamera goes for. It's kind of hard to find the Gamera, but I was like, I'll keep them. And I, we've talked about it before. We're not really flippers, but if it ever came down to it and I needed some money, this is something that I could sell and make some of my money back, get back and maybe make a little bit more. Um, and then the only other thing that I wanted to share was I went to the thrift store the other day and of course they had a monster high castle and 80 pieces. It was 10 bucks. So Finley wanted that. So I have to put that together, but their VHS and DVDs are free. So I got witchcraft seven. Which should be free. That should be free. <laughs> and Angel of Destruction. And I was like, I'll grab them. But they each sell for like 20, 15 to 20 bucks on eBay. So I was like, I'll put them, I'll put them away. And who knows? I mean, maybe I can trade them for something else that I want. They'd been there since the last time I was there, and I just didn't have time to look at them. Oh, this is kind of cool. So I ordered Creepazoids. Somebody had it on eBay from TerraVision. And I was going through it. I was opening it and looking at it. And they have these creep coins that I get with my current stuff. And somebody, they left the creep coin in there. So I'm like, oh, that's worth something. Because if you gather 100 of these, get two tickets to their annual Fright Fest, VIP, posters, T-shirts, backstage access, 
all kinds of free stuff, but you have to collect a hundred. So that was kind of a bonus that I didn't have to order more of anything to get it. It just kind of came and fell out of the package. I found it on the floor. It's not a coin. It's a piece of paper. Yeah, well, you cut this little coin up here out, save it. Hell, I don't know if I'll ever even get 100 That seems like a lot of money to get 100 I have four right now. It's probably, there's like no way to get 100 Like you can only get 99 and then you like <laughs> spend a ton of money trying to find the golden ticket. You know what I mean? The packaging on that Godzilla stuff, it looks really in really good shape. And it's funny because when I sent that to you and then you picked it up immediately and I knew that it wasn't that expensive. I was like, oh, I bet he's going to probably going to open those up and you know him and Finley are going to play with them. But it was like a couple of days after you sent me a message and said, oh, yeah, I was showing that to Brian Clark. And he was like, what? That's a good deal. He said, you Jason to that guy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my new term for rip off. You Jason, that guy. And uh, he told you that, uh, that they were worth more than that. And then when I heard that, I was like, ah, he's going to leave them in the package. Good. I'm getting through to you. I talked to the guy and he's like, yeah, I just want to, I want to sell them. I had them sold. I kind of need the money. The guy backed out after a couple weeks and he said, I live in Palatine. So you'll have them in a couple days. I was like, okay. Finley has plenty of stuff to play with Godzilla wise and toy wise. She has more toys at four than I've had my whole damn life. I put these up. She's never going to bat an eye that I even got the damn things. I'm never going to be able to negotiate again. No. (laughs) (laughs) You're that Jason guy. I heard about you. (laughs) I just pictured the Tiger King right when I was saying that. Like, I'm never going to financially recover. No. (laughs) Never going to be able to negotiate again. Hey, don't don't feel bad. I mean, because of the earlier part of this episode, people, when they think of me, are going to think of a pussy with teeth. So, (laughs) (laughs) What did you get, Clint? Anything? No, I wasn't joking, man. Uh, yeah, it's been a tough couple of weeks, whatever. I I think it's a lot of it's because of the car purchase. And then, of course, you know, the added insurance and all that stuff. So, yeah, I just have not had any disposable income. I did set a little bit aside and I am running up to Weirdsville Records uh, tomorrow. And so, Jason, when I go there, I'm going to, uh, before we get, yeah, later I want to talk to you to see what color pressing it was you were looking for that bit of Frankenstein. And if it's up there, I'll, I'll pick it up. But yeah, enough, nothing here and no real plans to spend anything in the next couple of weeks. Just getting caught up on some bills and stuff. It all catches up to you every once in a while. So, yeah, I've really been kind of watching what I buy too. I mean, I bought that Creepazoids, but it was on sale. These were a good deal. Yeah, the VHS tapes were free. So I've been kind of, because I know convention season's coming. I've been trying to kind of like scale back and maybe buy stuff that's a good deal or something I really like. I don't know. Yeah, I knew when you bought that car for your oldest. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's a big purchase. So, yeah, that's. You know, and, and some people, when I when I talk talk about it to them, I can't talk. I get those looks sometimes like, oh, you bought your kid a car. I wouldn't buy my kid a car. You know what I mean? Oh, she got to work for it. Look, my first car was 450 bucks in 1979 Camaro. And uh, I think my, my parents gave me half the money. I came up with the other half. All my dad and I did was work in that thing nonstop, was put money into it because it was a hunk of junk. So I'm like, when I bought her the car, I was like, you know, I, she's not, she didn't get a brand new car, but I wasn't going to buy her the thousand dollar special next door. That was going to cost me $10,000 and years of my life. I don't have time. So plus she'll be, uh, she'll be driving the youngest around, taking her back and forth to school. And so I wanted something dependable for them. And, and that helps you out in the long run too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It frees me up more time to, you know, do things like talk about the news <laughs> and find sponsors for the show. Man, my Segway game is weak this week. Oh, terrible. Wait, I know. Since my Segway game is really weak this episode, let's take it to a sponsor to see if we can make some money to help me go to classes to learn how to better Segway. 
No, that that sucked too. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh God, just put me out of my misery. Brian, please take it to a sponsor. The inmates are running the asylum now. <laughs> Have yourself committed to the Eloise Asylum at 30712 Michigan Avenue, Westland, Michigan. The inmates are running the asylum summer slash event and have invited some friends. Have such sights to show you. Outside, meet Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th, Part 6, CJ Graham, plus shop from 60 different horror and oddity vendors. Inside, brave two slasher-themed haunted attractions, plus VIP ticket holders will partake in the extremely exclusive 45-minute Nightmare Survival Channel on the upper floors of Eloise Asylum, where you will have to work together and outmaneuver a legendary slasher and solve puzzles for a chance to win an Eloise prize. The insanity takes place Saturday, June 3rd. Gates open at 5 p.m. For more info and to purchase tickets, visit EloiseAsylum.com. So now that we've heard from our sponsor, it's time for the movie. This episode, we're covering the 1964 science fiction horror classic, The Last Man on Earth. What'd you guys think? I'm glad we covered this. Uh, we kind of were talking about what movies to cover, and we haven't done a lot of black and white, and I wanted to experience more Vincent Price, so we kind of talked about it. Uh, Vincent Price's birthday is... It's May 27th. So when this episode comes out, it will be the day before. <laughs> it would have been yesterday. So yeah, there you go. So it kind of hide right along. That was almost unintentional, but kind of intentional. If you guys haven't figured out, if, the, if you listeners haven't figured out, none of us are really good at math on this show. So, <laughs> Well, J- Jason is when he's Jasoning people, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you've not seen this movie, a little synopsis... It says, Dr. Robert Morgan is a lone survivor of a plague that spread across the world. Sounds familiar. Uh, The plague caused the entire population of Earth to die, but the doctor soon realizes that they are not going to remain dead. I mean, that part don't sound familiar, but the rest of it does. This was the first Vincent Price film that I saw that wasn't gothic. It didn't have that Victorian tone. It was modern and it was gritty. I fell in love with this movie a long time ago. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. If you haven't found out yet by the tone of my voice, I love this movie. It's a great movie. We're going to say all kinds of really cool things about it. So when we started watching it, I was watching it and I'm like, this scene, this is really familiar. I feel like I've seen it before, but I haven't seen many Vincent Price movies or older movies. I got to watch it a little bit more. And I'm like, oh, I did see this. So I kind of mentioned it to Brian. I was thinking that I saw it on an episode of Svengoolie. So I started like researching when this was on Svengoolie show and it wasn't. <laughs> I couldn't find it anywhere. So I was sitting there racking my brain. It finally came to me. Uh, Midnight Mausoleum. It's a syndicated Saturday night show that's... It's local to us here, but it's shown other places. Have you ever heard of it, Clint? No. Uh, well, you guys mentioned, I think Brian mentioned it in one of the past episodes that it's local to you guys in the West Illinois area there. And there's a couple ladies on there um, that kind of come out and do like the same Svengoolie, Elvira type stuff. And, you know, they have their own, you know, shtick that they do. And it was on one of their episodes. And it just so happened. I used to record a bunch of them and then I would watch them just every once in a while when I could. And this one was on it. So I had already watched a big chunk of this movie. And that's why it was so familiar with me, but I never finished it. So I'm glad I finally did now because it gave me a little something more to talk about. 
Well, and you have seen this movie before in the form of Night of the Living Dead from George Romero. But I'll get to that in a minute. I love the way this movie opens. It's um, but the opening was really washed out. It was it was real washed out with the white and uh, but i mean bodies could be seen everywhere and you know again this was this was pre-romero night of living dead i can and you know night of living dead was like everybody was like oh my god this is so gory this is so brutal because of the time it came out and the subject matter and all that stuff uh, but so i can only imagine you know this came out four year five years before that so i can only imagine that this was like really shocking and gory and, and brutal to everybody in 1964 1965 see this is a first time watch for me and that was one of the things that i was like this is night of the living dead this is like i thought this was after that i didn't look at the date but i was like this is such a mixture of so many movies that have proceeded it now probably every director that makes a horror movie has pulled something from this movie and I was like, how do I not know about this? It's based on the 1954 novel from Richard Matheson called I Am Legend, which is another take on this movie. So we have The Last Man on Earth was a take from it. The Omega Man, which I still never I've never seen. But Clint mentioned that when he was comp- talking about this. Yeah, it's a pretty solid flick. That's 1971, I think. Exactly. And then the 2007 I Am Legend with Will Smith, which absolutely love that movie whenever it's on i have to stop and watch it and of course like you said the night of the living dead 1968 yeah that novel has you know given us all these movies and this one with the immortal vincent price in it too so going back to the time when the film was made i don't see this a whole lot in modern films um but i love the the opening it very quickly establishes the story you know you see vincent is boarded up he's been alone for three years and he's fighting vampires so i mean within five minutes you understand what you're watching, and then you, you kind of buckle yourself in and see how the rest of it's going to unfold. You don't waste a lot of time guessing, trying to figure out why are we here, who's this character. Boom, this is what's going on, and let's get into it. Now, you said vampires, and a first time watching didn't do a lot of research on the movie. I kind of just went in blind. I was like, are these vampires? Are they zombies? Are they zombie vampires? Like, it was odd at first, because usually vampires are strong. You know, usually vampires would bust his door right down and get in there, but it doesn't make sense that vampires are like that because they, why would they be? I mean, and especially these, they're not feeding, they're dying because it's been three years and he's the only one that's left. So what are they going to feed on animals? It sounds like, you know, they would be getting weak. That's the part where I say you buckle in and see how it unfolds. But within the first three minutes, not only do you see he's boarded up and you see the calendar that he's written on the wall. So, you know, it's been three years since the, the, the base of the apocalypse has hit. But you see the cross on the door, the garlic, the mirror, you know, all he, he's making. the He's got the lathe set up like in his dining room and he's making um, wooden steaks. I mean, all the, t- you know, telltales of vampires. And I think that was just too because of when it was written in 1954 when Matheson wrote this book. Zombies were the craze. Universal monsters and stuff were still big in everybody's mind. So that's what they went with. That's one thing that I actually like about the uh, Will Smith remake more is... I think the monsters make made more sense to me. The whole vampire thing, I think, is kind of weird. But in Will Smith's version, and I Am Legend from 2007, it's like the wasn't like a cancer drug that turned people into these like crazy monsters, and so it just made more sense. Yeah, I'm still confused on what it was when I was reading about it. They were saying vampires, and it makes sense with the garlic and the wooden stakes. But then I got the zombie feel. Hence, why I wish now we could go back and talk to George Romero. Maybe there are interviews about it and when how much of an influence this was to him. 
I, I don't have the specific interview to cite right now. I'm sure it's easy to find, but I mean, he, uh, he admits Romero admits he's like, I, I ripped off Matheson. Basically he saw that movie, probably read the book also, I'm assuming. And then between that and what John Russo had written, I think at the time they had like 60 pages of night of living dead written. He was like, okay, we're going to make Richard Matheson's uh, vision with zombies and just change some things up. So what was the Omega man? What was the, the villain in that? Well, you're going to have to go watch it now, aren't oh, you? Okay. Okay. Oh, so I'm just, uh, so in, in 1971, the Omega man, which Charles, um, stars Charlton Heston as Morgan's character, as Vincent Price's character, it's vampires again. It, it's, it's real similar to, to last man on earth. You know, those early seventies movies though, I had this in my notes. Um, I liked it. It was a great movie. But it was kind of artsy. Like every early 70s, especially apocalyptic films, had this weird kind of artsy, dystopian future type tone to it, which I didn't dislike. But I I liked Last Man on Earth better because it just seemed more uh, relatable, realistic. I watched it in color because that's all I could find it on. I couldn't find it in black and white. I mean, maybe I didn't dig I didn't dig deep enough or but you know the couple that I saw were all in color. So I was like, "Oh, well, I guess it's going to be watched in color." I mean, kind of I didn't know a color version existed. Is it that weird where it's kind of like the watercolor looking color? Yeah, it looks like a 5-year-old like painted the stills over. So actually, it was on Tubi, but when I searched it, the color popped up first and I and I went to click on it and I'm like, "No, no, no, no. It, this is going to be just like that Night of the Living Dead in color." I'm like, "No." So I just looked like I went over a couple more and it was there. It was on Tubi for the black and white and I'm like, "Yeah, I'll need to rewatch it in black and white maybe, but <laughs> it's still the same movie." <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it's different. It's different, I would imagine, but we've all talked about this before. It's kind of like a pastel light colors when they colored stuff like from back then. It still looks so damn clean. It looks like it was filmed on a, you know what I mean? Like it looks artsy, beautiful. His voice, just his acting. It's like he trained for this and he's done this play hundreds of times in his life. I would almost implore you to go back and watch the black and white version then. We've talked a lot on the show before how certain films have a grittiness quality to the, the quality of the film. I have this on DVD, and I know DVD, Blu-ray, all that stuff. I've had it for a while. But anyway, it's black and white, and it has that graininess to it. And I think it just, I haven't seen the the clean, when you said clean, my jaw dropped. I'm like, I've never seen a clean version of this. Oh, I didn't even know a color version existed. So I think uh, the black and white and that the grainy texture to it are going to add to the kind of grittiness of this film. When the movie starts, you know, he's living his life. He's been the only person on earth for three years. It's having some flashbacks where he's, they're trying to cure the virus. So he's working with his partner in this group at laboratory to cure the virus. It progresses. His one coworker pretty much says, these are vampires, loses his mind or he goes lock himself away. And that's pretty much the first chapter of the movie. To me, it was cut in three parts. And the the thing I noticed is, I was like, I know why Clint likes this movie. It's that damn car that almost looks like a hearse. He (laughs) he wants to go for a ride in that damn car with that guy. (laughs) It was a hearse. He even talks about it. He was, that. I'm going to back up real quick because you're allowing me to say one of my points here. And that is, um, I I love the inner, inner dialogue narration of this film, which I know it's not like the only time it's ever been done, but you see it more predominantly in older films. Like I wasn't conscious or aware of the inner dialogue narration until uh, I saw one of my first non-horror favorite my favorite non-horror films which is sunset boulevard but that's very present here in last man on earth and so yeah he's uh his car gets all smashed up by the zombie vampires so he's 
car shopping and that's some of his inner dialogue. And he's like, I used to buy a car to buy a car, but now it's just because I need a hearse, but I can't, you know, back then you couldn't get a hearse on the open market. So he found a Studebaker, I think it was, or a station wagon or something. It looked like a hearse. Had the black look to it and the long trunk. You got to have that when you're a professional vampire hunter. He's the only one left on the planet. Well, and you, you just said too, that, uh, you were talking about the quality of the film looking so clean, which again is kind of foreign to me, but you said it looked like Vincent, like this was a play that he, you know, trained for and studied for. I think he should have got an Oscar for this. May I have the envelope, please? And the Oscar goes to... It was obviously like the isolation and the loss of his wife and child that wore pretty heavy on him, but it almost seemed more like the monotony of the day in and day out is what really, you know, weighed on him and depressed him. And he just portrayed that so well, so easily, and just his mannerisms and his movements. The moment when he's watching the old um, reel-to-reel home home movie of his wife and his daughter, I think uh, they were at a circus or something like that, and he starts laughing, and then he transitions to that cry. I, I don't care if you agree with me or not. He should have won an Oscar for that. Great performance in this film. Great performance in every film Vincent Price ever did, even when he was animated in Scooby-Doo. I thought going into this movie, it would be like a... Oh, it's going to be an older movie. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be well acted. It's going to look good. Um, The sound's going to be good because most of these older movies, that's what you get. Um, It'll be a good story. When it got to that middle part, I was like, this is fucking hard to watch. God damn. Is that where you sent me the message and said, this is gut wrenching? Yes. I'm like, God damn. Like, what's Clamp putting on me? Like, everybody's dying. The military's coming to pick up the bodies. His daughter's sick. She's going blind. At one point, his family, outside of him, his daughter gets sick. He has to go to work. He's telling his wife, whatever you do, do not call anybody to come to the house. And of course, what does she do? She calls somebody to come to the house. And I think it's as he's pulling up from work, the truck, they take the military comes and takes the bodies and then takes them to a dumping ground, which is a mass grave where they burn the bodies. So he's trying to figure out which which truck his daughter's body is on, you know, and it's just like, what the man, this is tough. Knowing that your child, she's blind because that's one of the things that happens along the way um, from this disease. They take her body and throw it in this pit with hundreds of other bodies and they just incinerate them and that you're never going to see your child again. I felt and, and like his wife, you know, she was just trying to save her daughter. Who knows what would have happened if she would have stayed there. And then we saw like the turn time because, I mean, his daughter must have died and they don't turn immediately. It takes quite a while. I was going to say, I think the same thing you're getting ready to say, Brian, and that is, yeah, we we don't find out from his daughter because, yeah, his daughter gets tossed in the pit there. But his wife, when, of course, Verge, you know, she went through the same process. She passed away. He kind of snuck out in the middle of the night and buried her in the field. And it was, uh, I'm assuming it appeared to be like the next night, I think, is when she showed back up from the time she was deceased to when she came back. But he had time, you know, to put her in the blanket and wrap her all up and drive her all the way out there and dig a hole, put her in it. It's got to take hours probably. And then she hadn't turned yet. That's another throw to Night of Living Dead. You're bitten. And then it takes, I mean, the girl's in the basement with her parents. It takes, it was later that day that she turned or the next day. I don't remember the timeline of that, but yeah, this is... And like you said, Clint, he ripped off this movie. He just changes it to zombies instead of vampires. I mean, this is a lot of the same movie. 
No, when you when you sent me that message, you said, "Man, this movie's gut wrenching." I was like, I didn't ask. I wanted to wait to the recording, but I almost knew it was the scene where the daughter goes blind and she's just, "Mommy, mommy." They're right next to the bench, and I was like, "He's watching that scene," and he's because it is as, as a parent, it's kind of like, "Holy shit!" And then the pit, you know, I talked about for the this period of filmmaking how I feel that the film was was really gory for the time. That pit when they're just tossing the bodies down the pit, and you see them bouncing off the pit, and the flames get higher. All I could do was put myself in that period of time of filmmaking in 1964 and was like, wow, this movie's heavy as shit. I came across a fun fact, and that is that Vincent Price insisted on when he was driving around and staking vampires in the daytime and loading them up into the back of the station wagon and taking them to the pit. He insisted on they were it, they were real people. They were obviously dummies when they tossed them in the pit, but he wanted that realism added to it and he wanted to show his struggle and stuff like that so yeah just very realistic yeah i was wondering how strong he was like when those bodies were like laying on his driveway and he just went over there and grabbed them and picked them up i think if somebody was playing limp it was dead weight you know, that they would be harder to move yeah but no he just i'm kind of repeating the point but yeah this movie is night of the living dead before night of the living dead but instead of zombies it has vampires last man on earth as opposed to Night of the Living Dead comes, you know, complete with an explanation and a backstory. So as Last Man on Earth unfolds, and this is a, another Romero point I want to get into in a minute, but as this movie unfolds, we discover that there's like, you know, there's two civilizations of vampires. And when we started this discussion, Brian, you're like, what the hell? They're vampires, but they're, are they zombies? I don't know what's going on. You find out towards the kind of beginning, middle of the third act that, a group of people have been trying to rebuild civilization. They have become zombies, or I'm sorry, vampires, but they've uh, created some sort of serum to inject themselves to stop to the full transition of coming, becoming like kind of like more animalistic. And then, of course, the the vampires that weren't aware of that have become animalistic, and they feed. He says they feed off the weak ones, so they're cannibals as well. Yeah, they just have no strength. It's been three years. There's no one else to feast on. So that was another Romero point was. In Day of the Dead from 1985, Romero wanted to make that film longer. He had a lot more story, and it was going to be how some of the zombies were evolving. And you basically had good evolved zombies versus animalistic bad zombies, and they started to fight. Which you kind of saw play out a little bit more when he did Land of the Dead, and it sounds like Twilight of the Dead that's coming out in the near future that we record or reported on in this show a while back, that it's going to be more about that. And again, I can't help but think that Romero took that idea from Last Man on Earth. Yeah, because in the third act, once you go through this gut-wrenching death of his whole family, his friends, I mean, he's the last person left on the planet. And I would imagine for maybe the first couple of days, you're like, oh, this is kind of nice. No one else is around. I can do whatever the hell I want. But then who do you talk to? Who do you say goodnight to at night? Almost like a a good case study also on maybe depression or loneliness. You could show this in a um, psychology class and study his descent into you'd almost be insane because there's no one around. We're not meant to go into through life alone. We're herd animals. Humans are herd animals. Everybody's gone, but he finds this one person. She wanders up to him at the, where is he at? He's at the graveyard. Is he visiting? 
he was chasing after a dog showed up. So he'd been isolated for three years and out of nowhere, this dog shows up and then runs off and he's chasing after the dog and he kind of winds up in the park. And then that's when he saw the woman. Well, he knew somebody was out there though, because he wandered up and he was chasing the dog and then he wandered up to some bodies laying there that were staked. So he pulled out the stake and he starts looking around like he knew somebody else is out there doing this. So then he goes home and gets on the radio and he's trying to like radio for people and then he catches the dog, and I think that's why he went after the dog, like what you were talking about with the loneliness. He was like, oh, you know, this could be a companion for me. I got to hold on, though. Brian, did you just suggest that if you're depressed and lonely that you should go to a self-help group self-help group, and watch this movie and it'll help you? Is that what you? No, I, I would watch this movie, like show this movie in a class like a psychology class and study it. Uh, for some reason, for some reason, I thought you were saying like, this would be a great th- show at like a self-help group. And I'm going, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm depressed enough watching it once. <laughs> this poor guy, the dog ends up being a freaking vampire. Yeah. I'm like, what the heck? This guy can't win for fucking losing. Can't even find a dog. That's not got this damn disease. This lady runs from him. And we find out later on in the movie towards the end that these are the people. She's one of the people that, has found a way to live. It's not a cure. It's a way to, you know, not become a, a totally a vampire. But that's why she ran. She's scared of him because he is this legend in that community, the vampire community and the people that are finding a way to try to rebuild civilization that they're all scared of him. They sent her as a spy to kind of keep him at the house because they were going to show up and kill him because when he was out staking vampire, he had, he was had no clue that there was two civilizations he just thought i'm the last guy here everybody's trying to kill me i'm taking them out and uh that's another point i think this like a social commentary this movie had was just about communication all so much would have been avoided if they just would have communicated with him and i think it's the irony and the great twist of the ending of this film is they show up to the house they try to kill him he runs i'm sorry and uh before they show up to the house the woman that he brought back to the house with him, that's when he uh, realizes that he's immune because he was bit by a bat. And then he's like, wait a minute, I think I can cure you with my blood. And he realizes that he is the antidote. He is the cure for humanity. And he cures her and she feels different. And then, the, you know, the army of sophisticated vampires show up and she's trying to get them to stop. No one will listen. They chase him through town. They wind up killing him in the church, which I think is where his wife was buried. I think he was at his wife's tomb. And then the movie just ends and the baby's crying and the, the woman just is like, oh, fuck. Turns around, walks away. They're doomed to live this life forever. Communication is the key. Maybe this would be good in a self-help group. That's, that's <laughs> the uh, the moral of the story, you know. Now that we're talking about this, I wonder if, because I don't know how long the Blade comics have been around. I mean, I know the Blade movie is like from the 2000s, but... Blade first came out in 1971 or 72. I can't remember the comic. So is this, I mean, did that writer or whoever, I don't know if that was a Stan Lee thing, but Vincent Price is a daywalker in this movie. He's the one person that can walk out during the sun. Did they pull some of that from this? I mean, if you see the movie, they're giving Blade the serum so that he doesn't have to feed. 
with with as much as this movie and Richard Matheson has inspired, I think it's probably a pretty good chance. But Vincent Price wasn't a daywalker. He was human. He was man. The civilized vampires were in kind of daywalkers because they injected themselves with a serum. Now, Blade wasn't a daywalker because he injected himself with serum. He was a blade wa- or a, a daywalker because he was born. He was what his mom was bitten during birth, so he was this weird hybrid. But he did inject himself to keep that animalistic side in check, which is the same thing from this movie this movie inspired so much i also wonder if this film inspired the strain on fx did you guys ever watch that so i didn't see all of it i saw a good chunk of it and i know that was worms but it was like a plague that moved across across the world and it was vampires i might catch some flack for this i'm not trying to get political this movie really ties in with the narrative or reality or blend thereof of the recent COVID pandemic we went through. It's a global thing that kind of blew in across the world and took everybody over. And of course with COVID, I tread lightly here because I don't want to piss anybody off. Um, Yeah. Why not? Right. The initial report, well, because I like people to come here and enjoy and forget all that (laughs) crap, but sometimes it, it bleeds in the initial reportings of the origin of the coronavirus were from a bat and of course in this vincent price is immune because he was bit by a bat i'm like so i'm just thinking about how all that happened and i'm like jesus christ did richard matheson to some degree inspire parts of this current thing that we went through and look i so i know i babble and rattle on (laughs) but i got a covid story to tie into this march 13th friday the 13th in march 2020 I uh, I was at my second job at the time, and that was it was really fucking windy that day. I mean, really fucking windy that day. And that was the the day that they announced all the shutdowns and everything. And I got sent home from work early. And as I'm driving home, this movie was the first thing that popped in my mind because I've been reading the news <laughs> stories, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is so identical. It was insane. So did you did you panic about it? Did you think it was going to be worse than it was? No, I I came home and true story. No, I didn't. I came home, popped some popcorn to watch Last Man on Earth. I said, "Kids, gather around. Let's watch this. It's a lot like what's going on right now." Let's hope this doesn't happen, kids. Oh no! I started. I went in the garage and fired up the lathe and was making steaks. I'm like, let's go, man. He's ready. There's some people that are around that I never really cared for. Hopefully, they turn. You know. <laughs> uh, you know, and this this is going to potentially continue to inspire things because I've heard rumors for a while now that there's supposed to be a sequel to the 2007 Will Smith I Am Legend. I wonder where they'll go, though, because, I mean, I guess his blood made it to that community. So maybe rebuilding of the world. I had a couple hangups. You guys want to hear about my hang I love this movie to death. always <laughs> have. But I do have a couple hangups. My two hangups were towards the end when the, the zombie-like vampires, they get into his house. How did they just slip in that door? The the woman's in his house. He has her. He's given her his blood. She's cured and human again. And then the zombie vampires start bashing on the house like, Morgan, come out, Morgan. Like they do all the freaking time. And just so happened that the one guy was able to just open the door and go in. And that's when he bit the now cured woman. So, of course, now she's not cured anymore, which is what made Vincent Price's death even more tragic at the end. So that was one of my hangups is, is how did he just slip in the door that time? It was locked. He just he broke the mirror. So now we can open it. Bullshit. Right. And that was the other part, getting away from my hangups. Romero had this in his films, too, where he's like the zombies. Some can um, they still have rudiment, rudimentary um, 
motor skills and they can adapt wep- using weapons. And of course, you see that with the zombie vampires in this. They're using clubs and rocks and just really kind of trying to break you know mirrors and lights. My second hang up in this was the poor audio and video quality. Again, I was not aware of a clean color version, but it just I think this movie could have been so much more if it maybe even reached a, a more mass audience if it was had better quality. It only had like a three hundred thousand dollar budget in nineteen sixty four. Yeah, it was laughing out loud. Tiffany was like, What are you laughing about? I was like, This zombie's trying to like hit the door without looking at the mirror. <laughs> like <laughs> I was like, Fuck, it took him three years to break that mirror. What the hell? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And didn't he make a comment about that? Like that was his brother-in-law or the guy he worked with? That was the guy he worked with. He he said he was like a little brother to him. He was a close friend of the family. Remember when they had the flashback to the daughter's birthday party when it was windy or before it was windy? Yeah, he showed up. Uncle Bill, I think it was or whatever. And Didn't he make like a comment where he was going to take him out too? Like it's too dangerous, but someday I'll find him during the daytime or something and I'll take him out too. I believe so, yeah. As many times as I've seen this movie and it, I knew about its inf- what it had influenced, I did not know until this recent watching that it's at, this is an Italian film. It's an Italian film. It has an Italian director. It was directed by Ubaldo R- wait, Ragano. It was co-directed by Sidney Salco, who I don't think was Italian. Uh, but I always thought it was shot in Mexico to mimic that Southern California look. When they show the, the, the empty town and you see kind of like the stacked apartments – I thought that was in Mexico, but no, that it was in Italy. It was shot in Italy. In fact, this was first released in Italy on August 19th in 1964. And it was also known as the night creatures. And because it, it was an Italian film, um, let's see if I pronounce this right. Uomo della Terra. Well, that explains a shitty audio. Though that's my point is, yeah, I was like, now, now I get it. And then like his, his wife, Verge, now that I know that, I just thought it was terrible audio quality. But no, she was Italian. A lot of the act, um, the guy you were just talking about, Jason, his coworker, who he thought of as his little brother, dude was straight up Italian, but somehow mastered. Uh, he had a, a pretty good American accent, I thought. Yeah, like everybody in this film was Italian except Vincent Price and maybe the dog. Who knows? Well, maybe outside of Vincent Price, was it really anybody even talking? Was it dubbed afterwards? It's possible. They do that a lot. You know, they'll they'll have American actors and Italian actors and they'll have the Americans speak English and have the Italians speak Italian and then dub it afterwards. I would imagine back then it wasn't like a easy like it is now. It's probably a lot harder back then. So 1964, you know, early to mid 60s, was that the time of the Spaghetti Westerns? I think that was, or or was that later, like maybe late 60s, early 70s? I just wonder if it was made in Italy, because I wonder if it was cheaper to get made over there at that time. That's what a lot of those Italian films were, you know, Italian films were huge at that point. I did find out, too, that this film has a couple of alternate versions, but it's nothing major, no surprise endings or anything. It's just some different scenes of dialogue were taken out. One has where the baby's not crying at the end or something, because apparently that was taboo or I don't know. It's kind of weird. Fistful of Dollars came out in 1964. Yeah, so this was right there in the time of Spaghetti Western. It makes sense. But this movie has just about everything you could ask for. I mean, it, it moves well. It doesn't stay in one place for too long. It has Vincent Price. We've got zombie-like vampires. We've got irony. We've got for-the-time gore. We've got you know an apocalyptic setting. Hell, we even have free-form jazz. <laughs> Now you must acquire a taste for freeform jazz. So what else you got, Clint? Any other fun facts or anything? 
The only other fun fact I got, and it's more Vincent Price, not specific to this movie. I wasn't aware until I dove in and started researching this, but uh, his first horror film was House of Wax. I didn't know that. Everything else, uh, you know, before that, I think he was like a stage actor before that. I don't know. I didn't prepare notes on Vincent Price specifically, but that's all I got other than my rating. You guys want to rate it? Yeah. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, go first so I can shit all over you. I liked it. Uh, my wife watched it with me. She also watched Silent Rage with me, which she gave a one. Her only comment about this one was, yeah, this one was better than the last one. <laughs> she liked the Vincent Price, you know, end of the world one better. I liked it too. I need to start watching a lot more black and white older movies and explore those. I'm going to give it a, a six out of 10. It was pretty good. I was entertained throughout the movie, just with one man pretty much going across, like being di- or overlapping dialogue. I kind of enjoyed it, kind of set the story. It was put together well, like how they would go back to the flashback scenes to kind of incorporate all that. But I'm going to give it six wooden stakes on a lathe out of 10. I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it, especially since you picked it. I've had a... Uh... I've had I've wanted to add this in the list for the for a while. This is the first black and white movie we ever covered, and I always got the impression that you'd be like, eh, eh, I don't know if I want to. So I'm I'm glad that you liked it. Very cool. What do you think, Brian? So I like this one too. I and this happens a lot when we talk about a movie. I'll either dislike it more or like it more. And I think realizing the significance it's had in horror films and being Italian. I mean, you know, I love that kind of stuff. And uh, it's got Vincent Price. It's It's got a good story that pulls at your heartstrings, or at least it did mine. I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I really like this movie. This is something, and I've talked about this before, I can put this on for Finley. You can put it on for your kids. There's no sex. There's no drugs. Nobody's smoking. I mean, it is sad when the family passes and the dog passes, but it's gory by 1964 standards, but by today's standards, you turn on the TV and there's any myriad of things on in the first half hour of watching the news that are 100 times worse than this. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 mass graves. I really enjoy I mean, this is a this is a gateway to horror movie to me. I mean, maybe not my four-year-old, but I mean, you could throw this on for your 10, 11, 12-year-olds, and this is a fun, nice, slow gateway into more serious movies. I mean, this movie's serious, but more gory movies. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I feel like I gave it too low of a score now, just kind of thinking about the impact it had on other movies going forward. Like we said, Night of the Living Dead and the I Am Legend, this was like the groundwork for it. I mean, the book was, but then this was the first film presentation of it. So I was at like a 10 for the first part. I was like, man, this is something I could put on every night and fall asleep to this movie. And then you get to the part where his daughter is going blind and I'm like, okay, no, I can't put this. I'll be fucking crying myself to sleep at night. (laughs) I can't put this on. But this, I could see this being a comfort movie for people. It's public domain or it was at one point. Um, So you'd probably find it on like a lot of those Night of the Living Dead with all the movies on it. Compilation discs. So I'm surprised that more people don't know this movie. It's overshadowed by Night of the Living Dead. Probably isn't fair, but that's how things go. Yeah, 8 out of 10 mass graves. What about you, Clint? Well, to hit home one of the points that you just made, uh, this was the second 
horror film uh, that Boots ever watched. We we first watched Frankenstein. You know, she. I've obviously been. The, my my children have grown up with the haunted house and horror movies and posters and stuff. And so, I mean, when she got old enough to kind of segue from Caillou Halloween, you know, Clifford the Big Red Dog Halloween, she's like, let's watch some adult movies. We watched Frankenstein first, and this was the second. And I think this is actually uh, more her favorite more than that. I think she's seen it. I think we've watched it together two or three times since then. It's been a few years, you know? So yeah, I mean, just to hit your, hit your point home about that, it's a great movie you can throw on. And like you said, I, you couldn't have said it any better, kind of transition young people who are interested in this genre into more gory things. Because again, this, to me, this is a gory ass flick. It's brutal. It's raw by today's standards. It's a drop in the bucket, but you put yourself in 1964 and you're going, holy shit. How did this not get an X rating? Yeah, I love this movie. I'll continue to watch it a gajillion times. And uh, I'm going nine. I'm going nine out of ten Oscar nominations because I do believe that, uh, I don't know, this was one of his best. I think he was great in everything that he did. But, I mean, Vincent Price, a phenomenal performance in this film. Um, The only reason it's not a ten is because of the poor audio and video quality. I know it's 1964, and so we've come a long way in technology, but even by 1964 standards, I think some more money could have been put into the production value. But now I understand why it was made on the the cheap over in Italy. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you really want Vincent to have an Oscar, don't you have one, Clint? You have an Oscar and a Grammy now, right? Yeah. 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 (laughs) I don't like to brag, but you know, yeah. I blew them all this week though. I I didn't win an award for, uh, for segues or transitions at all. Oh, you got to give somebody else a chance. (laughs) I kind of feel like one of the slow moving zombies (laughs) or vampires. See that? Oh man. I keep, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Hey, so to wrap this up, if you haven't heard of this movie and you are a fan of night of the living dead, which obviously had a huge impact on the world and continues to do so. Go watch this movie. Go watch Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price. You are going to enjoy it. It's almost the same damn movie, and they're both done equally as well. We all enjoyed it. And you know what? Won't suck the life out of you like a vampire zombie? Our podcast network, the PFPN. So let's hear from them. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening So now that we've heard from our podcast network, it's time for This Day in Horror History. History, history, history. (laughs) A date which will live in infamy. So when this episode comes out, it will be May 28th. So the two weeks after this episode drops, there's some pretty significant horror history. This is becoming one of my favorite things to do is just find things. And you're like, what the really that happened then? 
So on May 30th in 1986, one of Clint's favorite movies was released, Demons. And also on that day in 2003, Wrong Turn was released. And also on that day in 2008, The Strangers was released. So, I mean, May 30th, May 30th has been pretty good in the past. Maybe not so much this year, but I was like, that's a pretty good lineup there. Yeah, you could do a May 30th triple feature. I love all of those films, man. Demons is just in in the top 10 list, probably in the top five list if I had to sit down and talk about it. Wrong Turn was a great movie. I was out in Hollywood trying to sell the first screenplay that I ever wrote in 2003 when Wrong Turn came out. Without dominating with the long story, I wound up at the movie at the theater with Dwayne Whitaker of all people from Pulp Fiction, watching Wrong Turn with him and his girlfriend and, and a mutual friend that we had. And I was just, and I was like 22, I think at the time, maybe. And I'm just like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and uh, the other movie is Strange, the first Strangers. I like the first Strangers. I don't like, you know, what, I don't know whether they had like the 10th one now or something. I don't know. It's kind of, let's just make Stranger movies to make Stranger movies. But the first one was good though. I don't think I've ever seen the first one. Oh. Seen bits and pieces of it, but I don't think I've ever sat down and watched the whole movie. Isn't there only two strangers? I thought there was only two. Hell, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't think I've seen these. I was being a little hyperbolic there, a little dramatic, but uh, yeah, no, there's. Well, there, no, I think there's a third one coming out. Didn't we talk about that on the news recently? That's that's how forgettable they're getting. The first one though is pretty damn good. You should check it out, Brian. You'll probably like it. So then, uh, on June first in nineteen thirty-seven, Morgan Freeman was born. We know Morgan from Dreamcatcher and Seven and one of my favorites, although not horror, Shawshank Redemption. And then also that day in 1977, Daniel Harris was born. So you're going to have to send her a birthday card, Jason. There we go. She's been in a couple movies. None I've ever heard of. I don't think that she accepts his mail anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And probably one of the biggest days in horror history and film history i mean this is outside horror history film history june 8th in 1984 you know what happened on that day gremlins and ghostbusters were both released on the same day i was like what two of the most iconic movies of the 80s of history released on that day when i saw this fact jason your voice rang in my head we were talking about um Nightmare on Elm Street and Night of the Comet, I think, when we did the Night of the Comet episode. And they were released like in the same week or day or whatever. And you were like, can you imagine being alive at that time and having those choices? Same thing here. Can you imagine? Well, we were. What do you mean, can we imagine? We were alive. Uh, but I forget how exciting it was you know, to have that option to go see those two movies at the same time. Is a Wow. Yeah, I think we've talked about that before. There was something else I think we talked about where several were released and also going back and looking at it, like just two weeks before Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was out. So some of the all time classics. Oh, and Star Trek three, the search for Spock. I'm not a big Star Trek fan, but I, I used to watch the Star Trek movies when I was younger. Oh, and Police Academy came out the same day as Indiana Jones. Oh, no, that was March. That was March. Never mind. But it was still about the same time. 84 was one of the hottest years for film at well, uh, for the, for the industry, not just for film, you know, for direct to video, for everything long live 84. <laughs> oh, to be alive. We were, like you said, we were alive, but we were six years old. So it's not like we could be like, take us to see gremlins, bitch. We ain't talking like kids nowadays. I remember going to see ghostbusters two in the theater. I remember my sister took me. You know, we, we got on the bus and we went down to the theater. <laughs> I remember seeing Gremlins in the theater. And at the end, when Stripe 
gets uh, melted in in the fountain at the hardware or the convenience. Uh, Did you cry? Department store. No, but I remember um, I cried at ET because I couldn't bring ET home. I remember bawling my eyes out at ET. <laughs> I remember watching Gremlins and that scene hit. And my mom, my mom really tried to block me from a lot of the things I'm involved in now, which is probably why I am. But she, um, I remember she covered my my face. And didn't she didn't want me to see it? She thought it was too gory. And I remember I'm trying to like pry her fingers apart so I could see what the hell was going on. So quick side story: my mom was like 11 or 12, I can't remember exactly, but she was around that age when Night of the Living Dead, the original, came out. And at the time, she lived in a farmhouse in the country in Illinois, and across the street from her bedroom window was a cemetery. That movie scared the fuck out of her. She's like, Clint, I slept under. She goes, I slept under my bed for like two weeks. And so I think that was the root cause. And because of that, she's always been afraid of scary stuff throughout the majority of my life, which is, and so she always tried to shield me from it. You know, her fear shield me because of her fear. She's loosened up some now, you know, she'll watch the walking dead by herself and stuff like that. But so Richard Matheson even influenced me. Thank you, sir. Indirectly. Well, now that we've heard about horror history, we've heard the news, we've heard the horror history. Even my history. Yeah, Clint's history. Got anything going on, Jason? anything jason i feel like i should just record something and we'll just play it every time it's my turn to talk <laughs> i actually took some notes and i thought about it ahead of time <laughs> instead of just you know <laughs> and then you lost the notes didn't you forgot where you put the notes didn't you uh so this comes out may 28th we'll be wrapping up our little road trip little vacation that we're taking but then there's locally there's a rhubarb festival coming up nothing horror but they got like a flea market and type stuff maybe i'll find some cool pickups there I never, I never luck out like that though. Uh, my 19th wedding anniversary is about a week after this. So I need to start thinking about that now. That's a good one to write down. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's, yep. 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 Talk about horror. Tanya's had to live with your ass for 19 years. <laughs> Congratulations, sir. It's Memorial Day weekend when this comes out. So I'm sure, you know, I'll have a broader two or three, but that's it. That's all I got. What about you boys? I was going to look up if there's any movies to watch on Memorial Day. Yeah, is there any Memorial Day horror movies? Well, I'm not for sure, but if so, I'm pretty sure it was uh, inspired by Richard Matheson. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't really have much horror-related going on. Let's see. June 4th, I will be in Galesburg. There's going to be a little like vendor fair. I've got a table for the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast. I'll be giving out some stickers and selling some of my stuff and just promoting the show. That's at the old 21 Club. It's going to be the new junk drawer as soon as the lady that owns it gets it put back together. But it's going to be the first Sunday of the month for like the next four or five months. And I was like, I offered 20 bucks for a table. I'll, I'll hop on and maybe meet some people and sell some stuff and have a good time and just working on getting this thing from the Orpheum slowly put together. I'm scheduled a paint night, which I'll talk about some more as it comes closer. 
Um, our, our friend Matt Harding's picking up some posters for the movies that are going to be showing. Already working on some stuff for Flashback with uh, the Mutant Family, with uh, Joe, Bob, and Darcy, that group, and putting on a get-together. So more of that will be coming also. But trying to slowly work things in and picking through the movies for the Halloween Apalooza Film Festival. I've started viewing those, so those are shorts. I'm trying to get caught up on those so as they come in, I can start to watch them as they come in so I don't get too far behind. Some pretty good movies so far. Some fun stuff. What about you, Clint? Uh, you know, just plugging away at this new news segment and, you know, the Spill the Guts thing, again, that comes to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check it out. Make sure you subscribe to this show here, the I Like a Spooky Horror Podcast, because that's where it gets released. And then, of course, we share it all over the place and all the socials. So working on getting you uh, daily news stuff, but also this episode comes out the 28th, so... A week after this comes out is my next show for inkmirrors.com. I'm going to be at Eloise Haunted Asylum in Westland, Michigan, and that's 30712 Michigan Ave in Westland. They're having their first ever summer slash event. Uh, CJ Graham from Friday the 13th, part six, you know, we played Jason, is going to be there. And also Paul T. Taylor, who played Pinhead in Hellraiser Judgment. So not Doug Bradley, but Paul T. Taylor is pretty damn cool, too. Uh, they're both going to be at this, and it's going to be cool. I think it's going to be five to midnight. I think they quit selling tickets at, at 11. The haunted house is going to be open. They have a great haunted uh, attraction walkthrough. Again, owning a haunted house. I have a hard time going to other haunted houses. I kind of pick them apart. And although Eloise isn't done in the style that I prefer or tried to put out when I was a haunt owner, I like what they did with what they've done. High-end quality. They put some money into it. It's an actual old asylum in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, they do ghost tours there all the time and stuff like that. But so for this summer slash event, which is going to be Saturday, June 3rd, like I say, CJ Graham's going to be there. Paul T. Taylor is going to be there. The Haunted Attraction is going to be open. They're going to have uh, an escape room open. They're going to have, I think, 60 different vendors, myself included. And it's going to be at night. So it's going to be kind of cool. We're going to be outside under giant tents and uh, just a really cool atmosphere. I'm excited for that. So you can go get tickets now if you want. And you just go to, let me see here. I think it's Eloise Asylum. Yeah, EloiseAsylum.com. You can look them up on Facebook or you can go to EloiseAsylum.com to get more info. And come buy some Ink Mirror stuff because I'm broke. And I would like to make you some more Ink Mirror stuff. <laughs> you said Eloise Asylum? EloiseAsylum.com. Yeah, I've stayed there. Nice place. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> you know, that's like I say, I question if you were actually an uh, an inmate or a patient at this one you say you quote unquote worked at that, that no one can seem to locate. It's not there anymore. Wink, wink. So now that you've heard us talk about the news and why we're poor, the movie that's a generation of filmmakers leaned on this movie for all their ideas. This day in horror history, what we're up to. Don't forget to check out the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Don't forget to check out the Spill the Guts. Like, subscribe, listen, all that good stuff, and send us some money. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Please send us some money. <laughs>